Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of the podcast. My name is Richard Bryant, and I am your host. It's May 3rd, 2020. This is the Corona Chronicles, Day 52. Hello, everyone. Before I get started with tonight's news and notes, I want to extend a gigantic, humongous, ginormous thank you to the many people who have come along and checked out the Archiving Technical Theater History Group on Facebook. What started out as a small little project for a group of people from Penn State has turned into a phenomenon. A phenomenon that today has crossed over 12 thousand members. Think about that. 12,000 members and what seems like no end in sight, which is a testament to the power and the desire and the need for more understanding, appreciation, and information about all things in the technical arts, the production arts, heck, just in, just in art in general. I'm so grateful for all of you, for all that you've done for sticking with me and sticking together as a global community. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot begin to, to, if I could wrap my arms around all of you and give you a gigantic hug, social distancing, you know, excluded, of course, I would. So you have, you have, you have made me feel uh, like what little thing I thought was going to be, be something very, very small, turn into something I would have never expected it to be. Of course, this wouldn't be possible, wouldn't be possible without William Kenyon and Jeff Gress, who were the originators of the USITT's Penn State George Eisenhower project. If, if I didn't participate in that, probably this would have never existed. So it's to them, I give them credit for for allowing me the opportunity to come along with them as long as, as well as with the other seven, eight other people that participated in that project. Like there are very few seminal moments in one's life. For me, I can directly point to that moment of being able to participate in that project that helped change the course of my theater history and research appreciation life. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you all. I Look forward to continuing to try and bring you the best of my information and what my abilities will allow me to bring to you. I also look forward to learn from you, you wonderful resource of, of brilliant minds and experience and knowledge and curiosity and enthusiasm. You are all the best. Don't let anyone ever tell you different. And I look forward to when this whole craziness allows us to, to cross paths once again, to say hello to you, to say thank you to you, to even, like I said, even if I can't shake your hand, give you a, 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 an elbow bump, or at least just from whatever social graces allow us to say thank you, thank you, thank you. So without that, with, with, with all that said and done, let's get on with today's news and notes. As we begin with our news and notes, we start internationally once again, this time from our friends at the Theatre Times. This article comes out of India, and it was posted by Sanjitha Devi Dundu. Lockdown, a testing time for Sarabi theatre artists in 
Hyderabad. With their sole means of livelihood being out of bounds, members of Sri Venkatsiwara Surabi Theatre are seeking funds to tide over the crisis. Members of Hyderabad-based Sri Venkatsiwara Surabi Theatre, a group known for its colorful and elaborately staged mythological dramas in Surabi Theatre tradition, find themselves at the crossroads after the coronavirus outbreak. The primary means of livelihood for at least 50 families residing in Surab Surabi Colony in Serilingampali, comprising 200 artists, is by staging plays. Public performances were called off early March due to the pandemic, and since then, these theater artists have been out of work and are seeking help. Social media post by city-based photographer Swarat Ghosh, who had earlier photographed the group during its plays, highlighted their plight. Swarat had shared the bank details and online phone transfer options for Sri Venkatsurwara Surabi Theater and requested contributions. After the post caught attention, there has been some support from well-wishers and from the film fraternity, including director Harish Shankar. Chandra Varma, secretary of the theater group, says barring the theater actors, around 500 people depend on stage plays taking care of costumes, makeup, lights, set design, and productions. Ours is a 135-year-old theater tradition, and most of us don't know any other means of livelihood. I completed my MBA, but I've always been part of theater. I've been born into this illustrious family and grew up on theater, he says. In 2016, Chandra received the Ustad Bismillah Khan Yuva Paraksar from Sangeet Natak Akademi. He was also part of the Surabi team that staged Maya Bazaar, Bhakta Pralada and Sri Krishna Lilalu in France in 2013 as part of Passages 2013's initiative, supported by the Alliance Francaise. Chandra and others in Surabi Colony never had to think of Plan B. He said artists made between 5000 to 10000 per month by staging shows and didn't complain as long as their basic needs were met. In good times, Jayachandra and his group would travel to Vizag, Vijayawada, Karamangar, and other cities to stage plays. These were not ticketed shows, but the organizers would pay us. If we were lucky, we would stage 10 shows a month, he recalls. Each year, February would signal the beginning of a lean phase. Families don't come in large numbers during exam time to watch plays, explains Chandra. Now, with a likely long curve on social gatherings and public performances, Chandra is con contempl contemplating part-time work for himself and other members. The thought of moving away from theater is painful, but we need to survive. We don't expect theater to revive for a year. We understand these measures of social distancing. We are now in a situation where lives have to be saved, he says. If you'd like to read the, the original article, it was posted at thehindu.com. Also, please forgive me for my pronunciation. I am not uh, the best well-versed in pronouncing some of these names, so if I have offended anyone, I do apologize. I, my intent is to try and, and share the, your story as best I can. So I'm always open for, for corrections, so you can always reach me at archivett24 at yahoo.com, and I would love uh, to be able to pronounce things like these wonderful names much, much clearer and much more with the, the precision that they deserve. From our friends in South Africa, a theater project explores collective solutions to saving the ocean. 
This was posted by Kira Irwin. The Earth's oceans are under grave threat. Scientists in many fields have pointed to the large-scale negative shifts brought about by human-made pollutants, mining, and overfishing. How people now choose to behave, make collective decisions, and build solidarity around the health of oceans has an impact not just on our own species, but on all life on Earth. In the drive to rebuild economies after the COVID-19 pandemic, will nation-states and big business return to a myopic view of the oceans as a source of GDP growth and shareholder profit? Or could we expand our imaginations to listen to a multitude of voices that care for the ocean? A theater production in South Africa has been trying to find a way. The Leila Ulawande, or Listen to the Sea, research and engagement project implemented along the KwaZulu-Natal coastline in 2019 offers some useful ideas for such an expansion. Chorus of Voices The idea emerged from a public consultation meeting. It was between community representatives from small towns along the coastline and the Petroleum Association of South Africa. Many felt that they had not been adequately consulted in environmental impact assessment for permits to drill for oil and gas along the coastline. The association, a regular body meant to consider public needs when granting or denying such licenses, was sympathetic to some of the arguments, but the consultation process failed to make room for the different perspectives and, and concerns in the room. In response, a team of researchers working in ocean governance from Rhodes University and the Durban University of Technology began the La Lila Project. It set out to explore how different coastal people in and around the coastal city of Durham, Durban make sense of their relationship with the ocean. The research participants included a broad spectrum. They were small-scale and subsistence farmers, fishers, marine scientists, activists, church followers, marine educators at the aquarium, and sangomos, or traditional healers. The opening question was simple. What are your first memories of the sea? It's important because the symbolic, scientific, and spiritual meanings of the oceans are key to understanding humans' relationship with the oceans. Memories, belief systems, stories, and myths are powerful ways in which we make sense of our world and choose to act on and in it. The research team partnered with Empathyater, a collective that uses research-based theater as a participatory decision-making tool in social justice. They have tackled issues related to street-level drug use, gender and migration, and mining. They wove these incredible everyday stories of the sea, together with archival material, into the production. On stage among the audience. Lalila Ulawando draws on the story of three people. Nolwandol is a marine educator whose mother is a Zionist and grandmother a Sangoma. Niran is a young environmental activist whose family has a long history of seine net fishing. Faye is a retired marine biologist reflecting on life as a scientist and activist. Audience members sit in a circle with the actors and witness these intergener intergenerational stories. They recount how the ocean is linked to, among other things, livelihoods, medicine, and healing, and scientific study. Included is the site of the sea for spiritual connections with ancestors. The play deals with acts of past and present power and exclusion in South Africa. It performs the painful experiences of forced removals under apartheid, which robbed many of a life on the coast. It explores how extractive mining on land and sea and industrial fishing continue to create forms of oppression and exclusion. It also performs the tensions between environmental justice and environmental conservation. 
These are frequently played out in real life when local people are restricted from accessing sites of heritage and livelihood in marine protected areas. Last year, the play toured six small towns on the KwaZulu Nadal coast with a finals week run in Durban. The general public came to watch along with guests invited from governments, civil society, small scale fisher associations, marine science, and conservation. Each performance was followed by a facilitated discussion, and many audience members grappled with what it means to think collectively in a time of ocean degradation. They asked of themselves and fellow audience members how the hurt and inequalities in our past and in the present should shape thinking on ocean governance. If we listened carefully, South Africa remains deeply divided by racial injustices and economic inequalities. Rather than skirt over these divides, Lalila Ulawandel told different stories of power and vulnerability. What arose from the research, performances, and discussions was how cultural connections offer valuable contributions towards conservation and environmental efforts. They offered an invitation to an alternative con conversation, one in which culture, culture, science, and conservation may, if people learn to listen to each other carefully, find strategic alignment. The public discussions showed an encouraging move away from various trade-offs that normally play out, where big business gains at the expense of poor communities, or conservation wins at the expense of marginal groups, or where marginal groups are awarded socioeconomic resources at the expense of environmental conservation. To find solutions the world desperately needs to become better equipped and more equitable collective decision-making. To do that, we need to find translation devices between scientific, conservation, cultural, and spiritual canons. We need them to spark an imagination for working in solidarity across difference, with and for the oceans that sustain us all. Page two. If you missed it, the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama hosted its Atmospheres 2020 Festival. If you'd like to check out all the events that were part of the Radio Atmospheres Festival, you can check out the blog at Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama Atmospheres2020.blogspot.com. Don't worry if you weren't able to write that down. The, the link will be provided in the notes of this episode. Also, be sure to check back with the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama's Facebook page and other social media platforms for other exciting events coming up. Also, check out the Society of British Theatre Designers. This week, they held their first designer's drink at their virtual Zoom bar. If you are feeling a bit Zoomed over and over, don't feel like you need to stay long, but just be sure to come and raise a glass to one another if you can. Be sure to check out the Society of British Theatre Designers Facebook page for all information about the next upcoming designer's drinks. Cheers. From our friends at USITT, please make sure to check out the schedule for this week's New at Noon and Form at Four webinar series, which run for free from Monday through Thursday. The time zone for these webinars is Eastern Daylight Time. More information on each session, including descriptions and presenters, as well as advanced registration is available now at usitt.org. In other bits of information, PBS is now streaming plays from its great performance series for free. This comes out from timeout.com, New York. 
The revered, the revered performing arts series cracks open its vault. Aren't we lucky to have 13? The PBS channel WNET, one of New York City's most cherished cultural resources, has already provided online access to past broadcasts of its first-rate series, great performances to its subscribers. But now the station known locally as 13 is cracking open its vault to offer free access through May 27th to five great performance versions of major theatrical productions. In this unprecedented times, we hope you and your loved ones are staying safe and healthy, WNET writes on its page. All of us at Great Performances are dedicated to carrying on our legacy of bringing the best of the performance arts to you. And you don't have to be a New Yorker to take advantage of this offer. Here are the five shows that you can watch for the next two months. Much Ado About Nothing, the delightful 2019 Shakespeare in the Park staging of the Bard's tart-tongued rom-com stars Orange is the New Black's radiant Danielle Brooks in an adorably goofy Grantham Coleman as two two witty longtime enemies whose friends plot to get them together. Director Kenny Leone's all-black production is powered by strong women of color. Present laughter. Kevin Klein pops bonbons like bonbons as an egotistical actor in this splendid 2017 Broadway revival of Noel Coward's witty 1939 comedy, directed by Moritz von Stuhlenagel. Klein deservedly won his third Tony Award for this performance. This marvelous party of a supporting cast includes Kobe Smolders, Kate Burton, Christy Nielsen, and Reg Rogers. Next on the list, Harold Prince's The Director's Life. Few people have had as enormous an impact on Broadway history as the late Hal Prince, who produced or directed shows including West Side Story, Fiddler on the Roof, Cabaret, Company, Sweeney Todd, and The Phantom of the Opera. This documentary tribute includes archival footage as well as interviews with Stephen Sondheim, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Angela Lansbury, and many more. Red, John Logan's biographical, biographical two-hander about the abstract expressionist painter Mark Rothko, won a 2010 Tony Award for Best Play. The writing is a little blocky, with plenty of heavy talk about art and commerce, but Alfred Molina is excellent as the raging artist. In the recording of the 2018 West End Revival, Alfred Enoch plays Rothko's bullied young assistant and foil. And finally, The Sound of Music. You know the story. Stern dad falls for governess. Kids learn music. Nazis rise. 16 goes on 17. Even if the smash Julie Andrews film version is one of your favorite things, you might enjoy this 2015 live UK broadcast of the stage version of Rogers and Hammerstein's 1959 musical, which differs from the movie in several ways. The cast includes Kara Taunton, Julian Ovenden, and British musical theater star stalwart Maria Friedman as the mother abbess. From our friends at What's On Stage, here are seven Disney films that belong on stage. While Frozen may be on its way to UK stages, here are seven films that have to make the leap to the theater. Let's see if you agree. This is presented by Zachary Stewart and Alex Wood. We're rather excited from the arrival of Frozen later this year, based on the blockbuster 2013 movie, as just the latest in a series of Disney animated features adapted for the stage. The first was Beauty and the Beast in 1994, while The Lion King in 1997 was undoubtedly been the most successful, well, so far. Disney has drawn heavily from its post-1989 catalog in its theatrical pursuits, 
a natural choice since the scores for many of these films were written by stage composers. The studio pronounced, produced memorable and highly theatrical films before its 90s renaissance, though. Here is our list of seven of them that belong on the stage. For the record, we haven't included Pixar films, but we've already got our sights set on a Coco stage show. Let's see if you agree with their list. Coming in number one, The Princess and the Frog. Number two, The Emperor's New Groove. Number three, Tangled. Number four, Moana. Number five, The Black Cauldron. Number six, Fantasia. Number seven, The Rescuers. If you'd like to read all their descriptions of their favorite seven shows that they'd like to see, please visit whatsonstage.com and look under the features section for seven Disney films that belong on stage. And if that isn't enough for you, you can also check out Time Out New York, where they list the 50 best plays of all time. From the ancient Greeks and Shakespeare to Angels in America, these 50 plays rank as the greatest in the world. The very idea of choosing the 50 best plays will make some people furious and others confused. How exactly does one choose a mere 50 from the countless works of dramatic art that have been written over the centuries? One factor is a long-term popularity. Another, which cannot be severed entirely from the first, is universality. Both of these questions were part of the decision-making process when compiling the list that follows, and factors such as historical importance and influence were key as well. The result is a list that runs from ancient Greek tragedy to Shakespeare comedy to American family dramas, and even some modern experimental works. Just because a title is revived constantly, does that make it the best? Not really. If a play won a Tony War, does that automatically earn it a place here? Nope. You'll notice that there are no Broadway musicals in here either. Well, that's for another time. With that said, here is their list, and let the debates begin. But instead of me reading the entire list to you, here's an opportunity for you to check it out and see if your play, your favorite play, has made their list. And if not, you should probably write them and tell them why your play, your favorite play, should be on it. Again, this is at timeout.com under, under their theater section, and it's titled The 50 Best Plays of All Time. Happy reading! Before I conclude tonight's podcast, I once again want to extend my gratitude to the members of our armed services, our healthcare workers, our nurses and doctors, our first responders, our police, fire, and emergency service officers around the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please join me in continuing to support these women and men as they face this near impossible task of saving lives in the face of such great adversity. Please consider to support your local food banks and shelters. If possible, donate blood at one of your local Red Crosses. Be sure to check in on the elderly and support those who have special needs. Reach out to a friend and help not only make their day, but also improve your own. I'd like to conclude tonight with a quote from Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu is a South African Anglican cleric and theologian known for his work as an anti-apartheid and human rights activist. He is also an award winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. He says, Do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. My name is Richard Bryant, and I am your host.
It's May 3rd, 2020. This has been the Corona Chronicles, Day 52. Take care, be well, and good night. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions on how to make this podcast better, please send them to archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's archivett24 at yahoo.com.